We're back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. For more than a century, Georgia cotton farmers helped grow the American economy and the garment industry. The clothing industry has evolved many times over since. Now you can pop into a store and walk out with a $5 t-shirt, probably synthetic and not likely made in Georgia or even the U.S. After decades of increasingly cheap, fast fashion, there are signs of change. Sustainable fashion was on some catwalks for spring 2020 shows. Fast fashion giant Forever 21 filed for bankruptcy on Monday. And a growing consumer movement is reevaluating the social and environmental impacts of the global clothing trade. This weekend, store owner Melissa Gallagher will convene a symposium on slow fashion at Atlanta's Pond City Market to draw attention to building a wardrobe meant for durability. Melissa, welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks for being here. So walk us through the slow fashion movement a little. What are, what are some of the basic ideas? So slow fashion, um, a lot like the slow food movement, is sort of about understanding the, the provenance of your clothing. Um, where was it made? What is it made of? Um, who made it? And so um, the idea sort of uh, takes it slowly. Um, fast fashion has meant that our clothing cycles, uh, we've gone from, you know, four seasons or five seasons of clothing a year to um, up to 50 or 60 a year where shops are dropping new styles every single week. And um, and so it's about kind of reversing those effects, um, slowing down how much we buy, um, buying things of quality that are meant to last, um, and then looking to make sure that the workers who made it are paid a fair wage um, and that the environmental concerns are also in check. Um, you know, the textile industry is uh, one of the biggest polluters and it uses tons of water. And so... Um, Things like natural fibers, organic dyes, um, zero waste in terms of, or at least low waste in terms of how patterns are cut and clothing is designed. Um, so just looking at every step of the way and making sure that we're considering um, not only the people that make it, um, but the environment. Now, you first opened your store, Coco and Misha, as a pop-up indicator a couple of four years ago, I guess. Almost. But you didn't originally envision it centering around slow fashion or this movement. So what changed for you? So um, I originally started and we had some vintage clothing by some friends of mine. And um, and as I was writing my business plan and I, I got my business loan, I realized I had this chunk of money that I'd never had before sitting in the bank. And um, I started to think about how I wanted to spend it and who I wanted to get this. And um, very quickly, I started to realize that I wanted that money to go to small businesses, uh, local makers. Um, and I wanted to keep up with the vintage. And as I was shopping for the vintage, um, I became very acutely aware of how much we waste. And um, if you spend some time in some thrift stores, it would be impossible to ignore um, not just what we throw away, but I mean, we throw away things that are brand new um, straight out of the stores. And so um, looking at that waste and, and talking to friends about it, someone introduced me to the movie The True Cost, um, which is a documentary film that talks about the garment industry and the effects of it. And um, at that point on, I, I couldn't go back personally. And I certainly wasn't going to let my business that spends much more on clothing um, go that direction either. And so um, we made changes and we, we slowly started introducing some of the small sustainable brands that I got excited about. And, um, and as support grew for it, we, we grew it. So uh, one of the things that you're doing this weekend is a bunch of speakers are coming in to talk about this, what you just unpacked there, the kind of supply chain, all of these different factors. One of them is Elizabeth Klein. She's author of a book called The Conscious Closet, which explores the impact 
of fast the fast fashion industry, one of the speakers. She also wrote a book about, called Unzipped about the fast fashion industry. Here she is talking about H&M's business model with All Things Considered. A store like H&M produces hundreds of millions of garments per year. They put a small markup on the clothes and earn their profit off selling an ocean of clothing. An ocean of clothing. This is all about volume. Now, H&M, for the record, is just one of many companies that has come under fire for fast fashion, but has said it wants a climate-neutral supply chain by 2030. If the markup is so low, can it still make money with sustainability in mind? Well, I think that we're going to have to see prices go up. Um, I think Forever 21 is a great example of that. Them um, filing for bankruptcy um, shows that it is not sustainable to do it at the model of uh, low prices, uh, you know, Seven dollar jeans. Somebody, somebody paid. Somebody somewhere paid for that, mm-hmm. and um, and that is not sustainable. So what is sustainable is um, paying fair wages and ensuring that our environment, <laughs> our future is protected. And so I think that um, that the prices are going to have to go up, and consumers are going to have to adapt to that. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that, but I also want to hear from Zara, another big maker, announce a retailer, rather global retailer, announced earlier this year it will be using only sustainable materials by 2025. Here's Mark Sumner. He's a fashion and sustainability professor from the UK talking about that. Sometimes you can reduce one particular environmental impact and at the same time by the actions you've taken you're actually increasing impact somewhere else. So the the idea of having something sustainable is is, is really ambiguous and, and that's one of the challenges I think for consumers and commentators when they're trying to look at the statements being made by brands like Zara. You know, what does that actually mean? The meaning is important here because sustainability is is a great marketing tool right now, right? Exactly. And it's even called greenwashing in some circles, that you are selling that you're environmentally responsible. You're basically greenwashing your message. How do you how do we make sure that things are indeed sustainable? So Obviously, yeah, I think that that raises a really good point. And um, one of the things that I always preach is progress over perfection. So many people um, start in this journey. And if you do some research, it can almost tie your hands on doing anything because you start to realize, oh, my God, if I buy anything, I'm just contributing to the problem. Um, But I do think that supporting companies when they make these statements um, is important. And, And then taking that support really to to small businesses, um, to makers and designers that don't just say, um, you know, we practice sustainability, but that they are transparent about it. They tell you um, where they're sourcing their um, textiles, um, how they're doing their designing, who's sewing their clothing. Um, transparency is the best way. And as consumers, we have to educate ourselves. So um, you should check the tags on every garment. The tag is only going to tell one part of that story. Um, you know, I always think that one of the benefits to educating myself is it has slowed my consumption down. Um, if checking the tag tells one part of that story, um, I then kind of force myself to, you know, do some legwork online and um, and see what I can find that will ensure that what I'm uh, buying, you know, there are some garments made in China that are made ethically. Um, and then there are some garments made in the United States that are made unethically. So um, so doing some work. and And like I said, hopefully that does slow us down. That's a good thing. 
Melissa Gallagher is with us. She's the founder of the clothing store Coco and Misha and organizer of the Slow Fashion Symposium that's being held at Pond City Market over this weekend. Well, that, but that's a challenge for you, right? You are in the business of selling clothing. So, you know, part of what goes into that is the whole marketing of the idea that, oh, you know, I don't want to wear jeans that are out of date or I, I just need a new outfit. I'll feel much better. So you're advocating for people to slow down their consumption trends, but you want people to come into your store and buy stuff. How does this work out for you? So it definitely is a little bit in conflict. I certainly wonder, you know, we don't need more stuff. Um, and uh, I have a quote on a chalkboard outside the shop by Elizabeth Klein, and it says something along the lines of uh, sustainability isn't a product. It's not something you buy. It's a movement. And um, and and I believe that. And um, But I don't think that people are going to stop shopping completely. And I'd like to be a resource for people, not just for education, but for if you really, really want a new dress to wear to a wedding this weekend, that hopefully I have something there for you. And um, we do support some small brands that are very transparent that, I mean, really small, like some of the brands, it's, you know, the designer is the sewer, um, is the dyer. Um, and uh, and so we hope to, to give you options. Um, and then in addition to that, we do a lot of vintage. Um, so uh, anything previously owned is um, the most sustainable thing that you can buy. Okay, so some of the ways that the Conscious Closet, one of the things that Elizabeth does is help lay out how you should begin this. Like, how do you begin? Is it about going to, you, this is also concurrent with the whole Marie Kondo idea of like throwing things out right. that you don't need anymore. Where do you begin to build a Conscious Closet? Well, and, and one of the things in Elizabeth's book, The Conscious Closet, um, you know, she talks about you don't begin by just throwing it all away because that's definitely part of the problem is um, how we dispose of clothes and how quickly we dispose of clothes. Um, so what I typically do, and, and this is my own personal advice, is um, I look for holes in my wardrobe. Um, if I want something like a black shirt, and, and let's face it, we probably all have plenty of black shirts. I really sit on it and I think about, um, do I need a black shirt with long sleeves? Do I need a black shirt with short sleeves? Is it not a black shirt that I needed, but I was looking for a cropped shirt because I feel like that's a trend I'm seeing. And so again, I, I try to slow my consumption and I'm a shopper. I love, love, love to shop. It's one of the reasons I own a shop. <laughs> so, um, so I try not to pass judgment when people are like, I just, you know, I couldn't help myself at TJ Maxx. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I think just shopping more consciously, identify the holes in your closet. Um, once I kind of identify that hole, I sort of determine whether I think it's something that can be met with something vintage um, or something thrifted. Uh, let's just say it is something a little bit more trend forward. Um, that's typically where I'll hit the thrift stores first. Um, like I said, good news or bad news, um, we're throwing away things very quickly, often with tags by nice brands and even well-made stuff. So uh, a lot of times I don't have any trouble finding that thing. In fact, if anything, I feel like it's harder to find things from the 70s and 80s that are in really great shape. And so um, so I'll try to thrift for it first. And then if not, I do my research and I start looking for ethical and sustainable brands that might make that piece. And I sort of plug that way. And, and even when I see something and I'm super excited about it, I really do try to wait and think, you know, every morning, am I waking up thinking about that piece? Do I need that piece? <laughs> So that's different than, um, you know, cruising on Amazon at night and just ordering stuff when you're feeling, you know, that exactly. there's nothing on Netflix. Exactly. Um, if you're going to 
go that way, I recommend you do it on ThreadUp or Poshmark, where you are buying previously owned and where most of my impulse buys are are thrift buys. (laughs) We're not talking about everything made of hemp, obviously. High fashion has adopted sustainability. I'm thinking of Erdem, Stella McCartney on the high end. But other brands, you know, like Everlane, Eileen Fisher, these are at price points. The price point there is often a deal breaker for people, right? People can't afford to drop hundreds of dollars on a single item. So how do people within this movement, like yourself, respond to this? It's absolutely indisputable economic reality for people that can't spend money, but they want to look on trend. Yeah, I mean, I think some of that goes to the mindset. Um, Well, first of all, we've experienced inflation in almost every um, different industry except clothing. Um, clothing has gotten cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And because of that, our mindset is that we should have more of it. And um, I think there's some quotes in um, in both of Elizabeth's books about the number of items in our closet. And so uh, I think a lot of it has to be looked at. How, what do we already own that might fit that trend? How can we rewear? And how can we sort of... Um, reframe, you know, what's in style by, um, by being more creative. Uh, I think the other thing is, is thrifting secondhand. Um, there's no shortage of things that are completely on trend. And if you do believe that fashion is expression and creativity, I think that there's plenty to work with within budget. In fact, I meet so many girls that are so stylish and, um, and unique and original, and they haven't, they don't set foot in, in, H&M. If anything, I think that it's it's probably less original when H&M is pumping out a half a million of each piece. (laughs) Well, often conversations about fashion do center around women, but men are also consumers of clothing and play a role in this complex industry dynamic. How do they figure into the slow fashion movement? You know, I often think that we can take some um, some clues from men. Uh, I don't want to generalize. Yeah, too let's much. say traditionally gendered men. Let's exactly say that. yes. Um, and so, uh, you know, I know my husband has been wearing the same style of Levi's for like twenty years, and um, and he buys a pair. He wears it until there are holes in it, and they he absolutely cannot wear it anymore. And um, and then he buys another pair of them. And I think oftentimes we are hesitant to uh, to wear things until they're threadbare. And and I say we, and again, this is, you know, the, the gender normative, you know, uh, women versus men. But I think that um, that there are some clues there. When I go to thrift stores and I look for my husband, I'll be like, see if you can find me my, my Levi's. Um, I often struggle to find what he wants because um, by the time it's been donated, it's it's not in the condition to be donated anymore. Um, so one of the things, you know, I'm doing with him is trying to patch and extend that life a little bit more. But I think that, um, you know, a lot of men have it a little bit smarter. They're, my husband's style hasn't changed a lot. Um, he, he doesn't have seasons as much. He has um, warm weather and cold weather. <laughs> and so I think that we kind of need to get back to that as women and, um, and that it, my husband's still very stylish and he, um, you know, he has designers that he likes, uh, but he certainly doesn't struggle with, um, oh, my gosh, I just can't stop buying as much as I do. <laughs> so for this, you were just talking about uh, individual consumer based models for changing the system. Is the symposium about that or is it about activism? Is it about changing the corporate model in some way? You know, we're sort of approaching this first symposium. Oh, well, this is the second one. The first one was though just a single panel discussion. This has grown a lot in the past year. Um, we're sort of approaching it from an individualist 
uh, model. Uh, we are doing some activism and um, and trying to give some advice and resources. But I do think Atlanta is a little bit new to the sustainable fashion movement, and um, and so uh, I think if you can inspire the individuals, um, we really do vote with our dollars, and I think that that can be very powerful in terms of activism. Melissa Gallagher, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. Melissa Gallagher is founder of the store Coco and Misha and organizer of the Slow Fashion Symposium taking place this weekend at Pond City Market. You can look for more information online at gpbnews.org.